From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good evening. Welcome to this Friday edition of Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, a senior advisor to the president here at the Family Research Council and your host here on this Friday evening. Honored to be on board with you and thank you for joining us for this beginning of the July 4th weekend celebrating our nation's independence. Honored to have you with us and we've got a tremendous program lined up for you. Let me give me some of the highlights that we'll be addressing. The Supreme Court released decisions in uh, some of their final cases of this particular term, but there's some landmark decisions. Uh, one in particular, uh, a religious freedom decision. The court said that a Christian web designer cannot be compelled to design websites that run counter to her sincerely held religious beliefs. We'll be speaking with Jonathan Scruggs from Alliance Defending Freedom, which is the organization that represented this web designer before the Supreme Court. And the court also struck down President Biden's student loan bailout. I believe the court's decision to strike down my student debt relief program as a mistake was wrong. I'm not going to stop fighting to deliver borrowers what they need. Well, of course, that was President Biden about an hour ago responding to the decision and as we've shared before, this attempt at a bailout fits a pattern from the Biden administration, a pattern that in essence is there to buy votes with taxpayer dollars. We'll be speaking with Congressman Warren Davidson about that in just a little while. And as we discussed yesterday, the Supreme Court decision calling for an end to raced conscious admissions has the left literally howling. So today's ruling is taking us backwards, and it continues a legitimacy crisis with the Supreme Court. That was Massachusetts Democratic Congresswoman and House Minority Whip Catherine Clark yesterday on CBS. So how should we think of this decision from a biblical perspective? Well, we, we'll be speaking with Bishop Garland Hunt in just a little bit to discuss that issue. And then with the 4th of July approaching, more than 4 million Americans are expected to fly the friendly skies this holiday weekend and beyond. But recent flight disruptions have many worried that the FAA is not prepared for this holiday blitz. So again, is Mayor Pete asleep at the wheel or asleep at the cockpit, whatever the case may be? We'll be discussing that with Congressman Doug LaMalfa, who serves on the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. And FRC's Meg Kilgannon will tell us about how the state of New Jersey is suing school districts in order to keep parents in the dark if their child wants to identify as a different gender while at school. So friends, we have a packed show lined up for you this evening. Our website, of course, is TonyPerkins.com. There is a ton of great resources there for you, TonyPerkins.com. Be sure to check it out. And just by way of reminder, many of you know this is our 40th year anniversary here at Family Research Council. And during that 40 years, our mission has been to champion biblical truth in both public policy and our culture. Well, we only have a few hours left in this fiscal year for FRC, and we would love for you to partner with us to work together to rebuild the spiritual foundations of faith, family, and freedom. And we have a special offer. Thanks to generous donors, your gift will be doubled. We have our multi-million dollar matching challenge, but it only lasts until midnight tonight. So to make the most of this limited time opportunity, please call us. People are standing by right now. That number is 800-225-4008, or you can text the word GIVE to 67742. And together we are going to continue to work to turn the tide in this country. All right, let's get on to our first topic. As I mentioned just moments ago, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down President Biden's attempt to eliminate roughly $400 billion in student loan debt. Well, the Biden administration announced this bailout prior to the 2022 midterm elections. So 
Arguably, it may have already served its purpose for the Democrats already. But the court still delivered a strong message about the executive overreach. Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is U.S. Representative Warren Davidson. He serves on the House Financial Services Committee and the House Foreign Affairs Committee, as well as the House Freedom Caucus. He represents the 8th Congressional District of Ohio. Congressman Davidson, always great to see you. Welcome to Washington Watch. Yeah, Jody, it's always uh, so good to see you. Thanks for having me on tonight. Well, it's our privilege, and uh, we're, we're honored for all that you have been doing and continue to do. And I want to get your reactions here in a little bit about the 4th of July with all your incredible, incredible service, both in the armed service as well as in Congress. But let's jump on to this. You're on the House Financial Services Committee. Overall, give me your reaction to the Supreme Court decision today striking down the student loan bailout. Yeah, I mean, I think you alluded to the real purpose that the Biden administration had in the beginning. They know they don't have the constitutional authority to just decide, hey, we're going to give away $400 billion. Uh, that, that's uh, Congress's job. Congress has done, uh, you know, dumber things with money over the years, but we do it after we vote. The president doesn't have the unilateral authority to just take this kind of action. Uh, and it's horrible policy. I mean, the principle needs to be that you took out a loan. It's your obligation to repay the loan. And uh, the court, frankly, agreed with that basic logic. Uh, it really isn't more straightforward than that. Well, it's amazing that we have to go all the way to the Supreme Court to get that kind of logic, that kind of common sense. But you yourself mentioned, I mean, legislation is dealt with with the legislative branch of the government, not the executive branch. I think most people, including the Supreme Court, obviously recognize that this bailout was illegal. Uh, but I, give me your thoughts. I think even Democrats would admit along with all of us, that we have skyrocketing mm -hmm. educational costs that are taking place in our country. Do you think this decision now could potentially spur a, a reevaluation of these costs, maybe some sort of reforms or some innovation, some ideas to help help the rising cost of education? Yeah, I think uh, I'm hopeful of that. And look, let's go back to what they're not saying. They're not Never in this process did the Biden administration or the people championing student debt forgiveness say, you know, really this got worse when the government took over the student loans. Let's stop making these bad loans. Um, but that's the real origin of it. Do under Dodd-Frank, the federal government took over the student loans program. The Congressional Budget Office, uh, who's, you know, notoriously bad at economic modeling, continues to do the economic modeling for Congress. They said, we think we'll save about $63 billion if the federal government takes over student loans. Uh, the reality is we have roughly half a trillion dollars worth of uh, you know, student debt that we think your people are going to default on. And that's not really good for the students. It's not good for anyone, really. What it is good for are the universities. So they've got no price pressure. They just keep raising prices. And everyone says, you know, it's so unaffordable, we should subsidize it. And a subsidy really doesn't do anything except cost taxpayers money. And the, the example I always use is, let's say you and I enter into negotiation and say, how much for a, a semester of college? And we shake hands. We say, oh, right, $10,000. Like, great, make it 15. We're like, what do you mean? We just shook hands and said that it was going to be $10,000. Uh, and, and you want to renege on the deal and make it 15. Uh, how are you going to do that? Oh, no, the federal government will kick in five. Uh, with extra subsidies. And that's how subsidies work. It just drives up inflation. And if you look, healthcare, housing, and uh, education are things that keep going up at the fastest rate. And they're some of the most subsidized things that we have in our economy. And all of that, we know that at the end of the day, it's the taxpayer that ends up paying for all these subsidies. And that, that reminds me, you were on with me uh, a couple of months ago, I believe it was April, and we were talking about at that time, the, uh, there were some new mortgage lending rules that this administration, the Biden administration, was putting forward that basically was making uh, responsible borrowers redistribute their wealth and uh, give money to those with bad credit. And you, you actually refer to that as legal theft, which I thought was a, a great, very descriptive terminology about it. Uh, but you also had mentioned that you would hope there would be some lawsuits about it. But you, when all is said and done, you, you uh, recognizing that that whole thing was unconstitutional, you yourself put forth some legislation to undo this, and it had some major progress this past week. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, last Friday we passed the Middle Class Borrowers Protection Act, and it undoes uh, what the Biden administration came up with. Uh, uh, you know, pretty bad idea. Part of it, we got them to withdraw just by, um, you know, making it making them a little more famous for it. They had a plan that was supposed to take effect on August 1st, that if you have a lot of income and very little debt, then you can pay a higher rate for your mortgage than you would otherwise pay uh, so that you could subsidize somebody who has low income and high debt. Now, that's a really bad idea. That is truly a redistribution of wealth. But the part that took effect on May 1st uh, is a credit score redistribution. And frankly, you have lots of people with modest means uh, who are responsible with their credit. They pay their bills on time. They live within uh, a budget and they wind up with good credit scores. And they're they're paying right now more money in, uh, than they would have in April. So on May 1st, these rules took a place, took effect. And if you have a 680 uh, credit score or better, uh, you're going to pay a higher rate. Uh, and it's going to benefit people who had a 680 credit score or lower. Uh, they're going to pay a lower rate than they were paying prior to this. And uh, it's a horrible policy. Our bill undoes that. Uh, and so hopefully it'll get taken out. We had 14 Democrats join us. Uh, it's too bad it wasn't all of them, uh, but hopefully the Senate will take it up and Joe Biden will sign it. Well, congratulations on moving that through the House. That's a big step in the right direction for sure. You know, it just sounds to me like all, all this penalizing Americans for playing by the rules, for being responsible, it's uh, people are having enough of this type of mentality. And really, this is, wouldn't you agree, just another attempt, uh, another example, I should say, of the left trying to buy votes with other people's money? hundred percent. They're basically targeting demographics and saying, oh, well, this will hurt your people. It won't hurt our people. Let us take from your people and give to ours. And and here, uh, you know, like I say, it's not even clear that this is an income based thing. It's people that don't pay their bills on time that wind up with bad credit. Uh, so it's not even really rational. Uh, and they say, well, it's just to plus up Fannie and Freddie. So it really isn't even going directly to the Treasury. Uh, they say, oh, well, uh, we, we have to get money for Fannie and Freddie, which were private companies that the government took over back in 08, 09, because the government did dumb programs like this. And uh, we had a we had a major problem in the market. Uh, you know, obviously, the 08, 09 financial crisis overwhelmingly due uh, to government intervention in the mortgage market. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. And so uh, appreciative of, of you and your work and moving this forward. I tell you, as we move in, we've only got a, a 30 seconds or so left. But as we move into this holiday weekend, Independence Day approaching next week, I know, uh, Warren, Congressman Davidson, you are an amazing patriot. You served extremely well in our military. You're also a student of American history and now a, a U.S. representative. Uh, give us some of your reflections on our country with July 4th approaching. Well, you know, as the saying goes, we're the land of the free and the home of the brave, but we're only going to stay the land of the free if we stay uh, the home of the brave. And the Declaration of Independence, which is what we really celebrate here with July 4th, uh, you know, has the famous phrase, we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor uh, to the cause of creating this, uh, you know, independence from the British Empire or really freedom, reclaiming our freedom. And I think that's what we have to do. We have to reclaim. We're it's only have our to leave it there. <laughs> Congressman yep. Warren Davidson, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. We appreciate it. All right, friends, coming up, we've got a major victory for religious freedom coming out of the Supreme Court. Stay tuned to Washington Watch. Everything we do begins as an idea. 
Before there can be acts of courage, there must be the belief that some things are worth sacrificing for. Before there can be marriage, there is the idea that man should not be alone. Before there was freedom, there was the idea that individuals are created equal. It's true that all ideas have consequences, but we're less aware that all consequences are the fruit of ideas. Before there was murder, there was hate. Before there was a holocaust, there was the belief by some people that other people are undesirable. Our beliefs determine our behavior, and our beliefs about life's biggest questions determine our worldview. Where did I come from? Who decides what is right and wrong? What happens when I die? Our answers to these questions explain why people see the world so differently. Debates about abortion are really disagreements about where life gets its value. Debates over sexuality and gender and marriage are really disagreements about whether the rules are made by us or for us. What we think of as political debates are often much more than that. They're disagreements about the purpose of our lives and the source of truth. As Christians, our goal must be to think biblically about everything. Our goal is to help you see beyond red and blue, left and right, to see the battle of ideas at the root of it all. Our goal is to equip Christians with a biblical worldview and help them advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square. Cultural renewal doesn't begin with campaigns and elections. It begins with individuals turning from lies to truth. But that won't happen if people can't recognize a lie and don't believe truth exists. We want to help you see the spiritual war behind the political war, the truth claims behind the press release, and the forest from the trees. Thank you so much for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss. Honored to have you with us this evening. Well, we've got a tremendous religious freedom victory. The U.S. Supreme Court said today that the state of Colorado cannot compel a Christian graphic designer to create websites celebrating gay marriages. It was a 63 decision. It was released this morning. The court ruled that the uh, state civil rights laws do not require Lori Smith of 303 Creative to design websites that goes against her sincerely held religious beliefs. This is a landmark win for religious freedom. It has significant ramifications. And joining me now to discuss this is Jonathan Scruggs. He's a senior counsel and vice president of litigation strategy at the Alliance Defending Freedom, which brought this case on behalf of 303 Creative. Jonathan, welcome back to Washington Watch. Glad to have you. No, thanks so much for having me. Well, listen, what a huge, huge victory. And so let me just begin by saying congratulations. Thank God for you, for Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, what, what a tremendous victory today. I, I can't imagine what kind of celebration there has to be with you. But uh, what, what is it also like for Lori Smith today with 303 Creative? How, how is she reacting? Oh, well, thank you so much. It's a great day for Lori. It's a great day for free speech. It's a great day for the First Amendment, because in no uncertain terms, the Supreme Court said the government cannot force people to say things they don't believe. And that's good news, as I noted, for Lori, but it's really good news for all Americans. It's good news for atheists and Muslims and Jewish Americans, because no one should be forced to say something they don't believe. Uh, no, The government shouldn't force LGBT web designers to create artwork that violates their core convictions. And that was Lori's argument before the Supreme Court, that these freedoms that protect other Americans should protect her as well. And the Supreme Court resoundingly agreed. Wow, that is huge. And, you know, this, this is basic First Amendment rights of the United States. So if, if you will, Jonathan, walk us through this case. How did this thing begin? How did the whole thing move forward, getting to this point? that we have such a massive decision coming out today. Walk us through the case, if you will. Well, the case began in 2016, but it really started before then. Colorado has a history of, of going after artists and speakers who hold certain religious views about marriage. So Lori looked around and said, hey, I want to create websites, wedding websites celebrating marriage, uh, but I can't. If I go into this wedding field, the government's going to come after me. 
much like they did to prior artists. Uh, so she went to court and basically asked the courts, what are my rights? What are my freedoms? Uh, can I bring my religious beliefs and my beliefs about free speech into my business and operate my business consistent with my beliefs? Uh, and she lost at the lower court until it went to the U.S. Supreme Court, and we got that ruling today. Again, in a landmark ruling that came out very strongly in, in favor of free speech and in favor of conscience, and that really protects countless of Americans. Well, it really is a landmark decision, and I want to get to that here in just a moment and dive into that, just how significant this uh, outcome is. But when you talk about what, what you just described, I, I must tell you, I kind of scratched my head in wondering what in the world was a lower, lower court thinking? Uh, what, what was Colorado thinking? What in the world was their argument that they thought somehow would force someone to do something against their religious convictions? What was their argument? Yeah, well, the lower court argument was that uh, the lower court agreed with us in many respects and said that Lori creates speech and she serves people regardless of who they are, but that because she creates unique expression, the government has a stronger interest to compel her speech, which just that doesn't make any sense. You know, that's the more unique your speech is, the greater the government has a right to compel it, uh, just defies logic. And the Supreme Court rejected that. And in fact, okay, Colorado so didn't even oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. The state of Colorado did not do what? And Colorado did, didn't even try to defend that. Really. Uh, Colorado offered its own theory that when Lori brought her speech into the marketplace, uh, that her words and artwork and images turned into conduct, which also makes no sense. Again, it's pretty shocking in this situation because Colorado, Colorado agreed that Lori serves people regardless of who they are. She serves those in the LGBT community. But Colorado still tried to say he'd have the power to force her to say something that violates her core convictions. That That is this shocking is, and dangerous. It is, it is shocking, Jonathan. Okay, so uh, maybe that is the foundation really for, for my next uh, question as we start wrapping this thing up here in the next couple of minutes. But uh, so the, the Supreme Court says basically that everything that Colorado was doing was unconstitutional, correct? That, pretty much. That's right. Okay, so what were the ramifications of this decision today? How strong was the Supreme Court in making their decision, and what will be the implications, the ramifications of this going forward? Well, it's a very strong and powerful opinion in favor of free speech, like I said. So it's going to protect countless artists, countless creatives, people who want to express ideas in the public square and in the marketplace. Now, one thing this opinion doesn't do, it doesn't justify discrimination. Again, free speech and anti-discrimination laws can coexist, uh, and they have coexisted. It just, all this decision means is the government can't force someone to say something they disagree with. So hotels and restaurants continue to have to serve people, much like our client does, regardless of who they are. It just means that no American has to be forced to say something that violates their core convictions. So this is going to set forth a pretty significant precedent for religious freedom. Is that correct? At, in free speech and, you know, many times religious right. freedom and free speech overlaps. So, yes, that means that people can go into the marketplace in the public square and say, these are my religious beliefs about marriage, uh, that marriage should be between a man and a woman. But it also protects other people's views. And that's rightly so. Uh, again, we shouldn't the government shouldn't compel the LGBT artist, the Muslim artist the Jewish artist, right, or the atheist artist. Uh, it, it's dangerous when the government has that power to do that. And the Supreme Court said no. And again, it's just shocking that the ACLU, the Biden administration, the state of Colorado were all saying the government had this power to compel speech. Wow. Well, Jonathan Scruggs, I want to thank you again and all your team there at ADF, Alliance Defending Freedom, Fantastic work, and uh, we're just rejoicing with you all. Thank you for joining us on Washington Watch this evening. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. All right, friends, great news. We've got more, more, more coming your way. You don't want to miss it. Stay tuned on the other side of the break. We'll be back with more of Washington Watch.
All of us are born with the desire to find truth and meaning. Where did I come from? What happens when I die? While our answers to these questions may divide us, we are united in our need for the freedom to answer life's biggest questions and make life's biggest decisions for ourselves. That's why religious freedom matters for everyone. Religious freedom matters because the powerful have long wanted to control those who are less powerful. Religious freedom matters because the freedom of those who are different is often threatened by those who believe different is dangerous. Leah Sherabu, a Christian teenager in Nigeria, remains a captive of Boko Haram for her refusal to renounce her Christian faith. Chinese pastor Wang Yi is serving a nine-year sentence for speaking publicly against the Chinese government. All of this because people in power decided different is dangerous. At the Center for Religious Liberty at Family Research Council, we promote religious freedom for everyone because the only alternative is religious freedom for no one. We encourage Americans and the American government to engage and advocate for the persecuted, and they do. We work every day to bring good news to the afflicted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. We do it because that's what Jesus does. We work to give freedom to others because we ourselves have been set free. Welcome back to this Friday edition of Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, and we're honored to have you on board with us this evening. All right, Tony touched on this a bit yesterday in the program, but the uh, among the uh, U.S. Supreme Court decisions this week was a ruling that ended uh, the consideration of race in college admission processes. Uh, in reading from uh, his concurring opinion, Justice Clarence Thomas said, uh, that affirmative action programs, quote, fly in the face of our colorblind constitution and our nation's equality ideal, end quote. It's a powerful statement. So how should we as Christians consider this decision from a biblical standpoint? Well, joining me now to discuss this is Bishop Garland Hunt. He's the senior pastor of the Father's House in Norcross, Georgia. Bishop Hunt, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to see you, my friend. Good to, good to see you, Congressman. Good to see you. It's always good to be with you. Well, thank you so much. All right, let's just begin with the question that I just uh, suggested. How should we as Christians uh, biblically consider the Supreme Court's decision uh, regarding affirmative action? Well, it's, it's a great question, and I know that there's going to be a lot of diversity of thought as it relates to this, but I have to start off from a, a commitment to a biblical worldview. First of all, the Bible has to override everything, and the Constitution is aligned with the, the Scriptures. So when you look at this and you see the situation, you say, well, if, if people want equality, and I want to be clear, certainly there were things in our history that made things uneven, had the issues of, of race, we had issues of educational problems and disparities. But the disparities alone can't make us use any kind of means to try to bring what, what they call equity. Equality is something that the Bible talks about very specifically. I've, I've looked at it, there's over 100 actually scriptures that talk about equality. It, there's an expectation for that. One, one, of the, one of the scriptures that's so very important is unequal weights and equal measures of both alike. In other words, if you're trying to trying to get the weights, then you're trying to do that, but you're going to measures of uh, unequal or unequal. It's a both of an abomination to God. So we have to be very clear that God believes in equity. He's, the Bible talks about how he created all men equal out of his likeness and out of his image. So, so equality is important in the things of the, in things of the Lord, but you cannot do it by different measures that cause discrimination that brings other discrimination. So this was something I think is very, very important to understand. And sometimes, particularly being African-American, it does challenge us because it seemed like it gave us an upper hand 
But ultimately, what it does is it still brings a situation where you use it trying to fix discrimination by discriminating against somebody else. And I just don't see God blessing that. Extremely well said. Uh, you know, when you look at some of the social media posts, the uh, commentaries and so forth that are coming from a host of others, as you alluded to, not everyone's going to agree with you on uh, on what you just said. So let's reach out, if you will, uh, Bishop, to some of those pastors who may disagree with what you're saying. What would you say to those pastors who disagree? Well, you know, I, I, you know, I've been thinking about it a lot, uh, Jody, in this regard, because we are fighting for religious liberty. And most people are that but pastors would have to agree that we need the freedom to preach the gospel without any hindrance. But, you know, we have a whole nother group, depending on where they believe or LGBTQ, they're saying they're being discriminated against. So they're using discrimination to try to back down our religious freedom. So anybody's got to understand that you can use the very thing, if you begin to use it outside of Scripture or outside of the weights, another group would come in and say, we're being discriminated against. That's just what happened at Harvard. Harvard, the Asians, not the whites, the Asians are saying, you're discriminating against me because we have the same qualifications and better, but you're choosing someone simply because of race. I tell you what, I would like to say as a black man, I'd rather be chosen because of my merit. I want to be chosen because of my scholastic ability, my academia, and I'm willing to go to blow with anybody, no matter what they're, and I don't even want the stain of feeling that maybe I was chosen because of race, but not qualified because of my character or my, my attributes that relate to my thinking and abilities to, to, to succeed. Extremely well said. You know, I mentioned this a while ago. Let me just bring it up again. The uh, statement that Justice Clarence Thomas said I thought was so powerful. Uh, he said that affirmative action programs fly in the face of our colorblind constitution and our nation's equality ideal. It sounds like really that's what, what you're saying. That is reality, is it not? It, it absolutely is. And let me just say about this. Now, many people, when they hear that statement, they're immediately going to say, well, that the, the, our nation has not used, the, properly used the uh, Declaration of Independence in, a, in a sense of, or, or the Constitution in a colorblind way, but they have been able to use it to to refresh, excuse me, to, to deny opportunities for blacks. So, so what has had to happen is blacks have had to try to overcompensate. But see, now we cannot allow this to begin to defend ourselves. Now, here we are decades later, we, the, excuse me, centuries later, and now we're saying that no, still prefer us. At some point, that had to be a cutoff because the way it went about is is wrong. The, the outcome seems to be better, but the measures to get to the outcome were wrong, and now it's turned against us. At some point, blacks, even the more liberal, progressive blacks, must have to admit that now is the time to make a difference, and we must declare that we have to be equal, no matter what, but not choose measures that hurt us. Bishop Garland Hunt, thank you so much. Extremely articulate and spot on. We are grateful for you joining us this evening on Washington Watch. Thank you very much. Good to be here, Jerry. Thank you. All right, friends, stay tuned. After the break, Congressman Doug LaMalfa joins me. Uh, we've got a lot about the travel upcoming on this weekend. Stay tuned to Washington Watch. It begins here and here and here every day. Before you stand, you need solid ground. Standing in a culture that wants you to surrender the truth won't work unless you have a firm foundation. At Family Research Council, we have that firm foundation, and you can find us standing. We stand for the value of all human life. We stand for the right of families to flourish. And every day, we stand for your freedom to believe and to live out those beliefs, both at home and abroad. We work with government officials, educating them on the issues from a biblical worldview. And when necessary, we hold them accountable. We equip Christians across America to be informed and to take action in their communities. 
With our daily radio program, television appearances, and vast online presence, we reach people where they are. We envision an America where all human life is valued, families flourish, and religious liberty thrives. And that won't be realized if we're not standing. Stand for faith. Stand for family. Stand for freedom. Stand with us at FRC. I'm often asked by people, Tony, how do you stay encouraged? How do you deal with all of the stuff in Washington, D.C., the negative policies that are attacking our faith, our family, and our freedoms? Well, you want me to let you in on the secret? It's called the Word of God. And that is why the Family Research Council embarked on Stand on the Word, a two-year journey through the Bible. It's a chronological Bible reading plan with just 10 to 15 minutes a day. In two years, you will have covered the entire Bible. And to go along with this, Monday through Friday, I do a morning devotional that goes along with the reading of the day. It's all designed to encourage you on this journey because the Word of God, as the psalmist said, in my affliction, here's my comfort, your Word gives me life. That is our source of strength. To find out more, go to TonyPerkins.com or FRC.org slash Bible. And I invite you to join me every morning for our Stand on the Word Bible devotion. This fall, believers from across America will gather in our nation's capital. We'll hear from government leaders, policy experts, and leading Christian voices, learning how we can engage in government at every level, from local school boards to state legislatures to Congress and even the White House to win back the soul of our nation. Join with us for the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit, Believe and Engage, September 15th through 17th. Register now at prayvotestand.org. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you so much. We do hope you'll be able to join us for the Pray, Vote, Stand uh, conference coming up, the summit, and uh, encourage you to do all you can to attend that. It's going to be incredible. And again, just by way of reminder, for the past 40 years, Family Research Council's mission, as you well know, has been to champion biblical truth in public policy, as well as our culture. And there's only a couple of hours left in this fiscal year for FRC, and we would love for you to partner with us to join with us, and together let's rebuild America's spiritual foundations of faith, family, and freedom. And very, in a special way, because of some very generous donors, your gift right now will be doubled because we have some multi-million dollar matching funds uh, who have put forth a challenge, but it only goes until midnight tonight. But if you partner with us during this critical time in our nation, uh, with just $7 or more, we will send you a digital copy of Tony's new study guide, Nehemiah, Rebuilding a Nation. Again, just for $7 or more, you'll get that for free. But we ask you to prayerfully considering, uh, consider partnering with us. You have until midnight tonight. To take advantage of this, please call us at 800-225-4008 or text the word GIVE to 67742. And together, friends, we can make a difference. Together we can turn the tide. All right, let's go on now with uh, some 4 million Americans expected to fly on this weekend and beyond during the 4th of July holiday season. There have been so many flight disruptions that some are criticizing the FAA's performance. In fact, after an extensive flight delay series that took place this past weekend, United Airlines CEO Scott Kirby wrote in a memo to his employees, he said, quote, the FAA has failed us, end quote. Powerful statement. Is this yet another example of Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg's uh, just simply not being up to the task. Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Doug LaMalfa. He serves on several House committees, including uh, the Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure. He represents the 1st Congressional District of California. Congressman LaMalfa, great seeing you again, my friend. Welcome to Washington Watch. Jody, always a pleasure to be on with you. Thank you, and I appreciate Tony Perkins' uh, uh, efforts as well. You have a great network there. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, and we do. I'm honored to be part of the team. 
Uh, listen, uh, let me start with that uh, comment from the CEO of United Airlines saying that the FAA failed us last weekend. Uh, would you agree? What's your reactions to that statement? Well, you know, uh, ever since the COVID deal, uh, we, ha we have seen a, uh, a lack of uh, impetus to get people returning back to work, to work for the federal government. I've heard accounting of uh, IRS offices, for example, to have hardly anybody showing up, yet there's a mass amount of work that needs to be done for getting people's uh, taxes processed and their, their uh, refunds out. And so we're, it wouldn't be really any different as, as much as people have been incentivized to not come into work at uh, the federal government level, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a detriment. And then when we've seen the training center uh, defunded a little bit, and we're not—we don't have the pipeline of folks that need to come in and do the work for us at the FAA at the various levels, where it's the traffic controllers or all the other related uh, uh, infrastructure of that, and the TSA. You know, we're, of course, we're going to run behind. Uh, COVID shouldn't be an excuse for that, as we found out with uh, COVID. Uh, there was a big federal government overreaction on that. People could have safely done a lot more than was allowed. So there's a there's a whole ripple of things that have been a problem, and we need to. Uh, fast forward on this. And so I hope in the appropriations process and uh, FAA reauthorization and such that we can uh, build that back up and fast forward more folks to getting through the training academy on getting more more folks into the uh, back into the FAA and the air traffic controllers and such. Because, you know, well, travelers should be subject to this sort of delay. Well, you know, this is not the, the first time that uh, there have been problems with the transportation uh, secretary, Pete Buttigieg. It, it's just, I mean, we've had train wrecks. We've had uh, so many. Uh, just, uh, it seemed like one issue after another. And uh, they all seem to me, at least, to be met with a rather tepid re reaction from him and his department. How would you assess his overall performance? Well, it's 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 disappointing, you know, and when the president and his team put people in place basically to check boxes on what their status is versus what their competency in, this is what we're going to get. And we're seeing that through a lot of aspects of uh, presidential appointments. And when you're appointing people on the basis of their, you know, their color, their, their gender, their sexuality, whatever, you know, it needs to be the best people. And I, I hope it can be any of the above on that, but they have to be people that are ready to step in and do a job. And we've suffered for that economically uh, like that. So the secretary, I think, is in over his head. And, uh, you know, it, a, it may be a provocative statement but by the airline there, but it's probably largely true because they got to deal with that on delayed flights. You know, I think in one case they were talking about how how bad it was coming out of Newark, New Jersey and such, where 40% in, 75% out were, were not available to them. That, that's ridiculous. And so... Let's get the staff back up to a level where the where travelers will be accommodated by this, especially during holiday periods like this. Absolutely. I saw those same statistics. And, yeah, there's reason uh, for the CEO of United and others to be upset with this. That's the world in which they live. If I can, Congressman, let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, you continue, and we're deeply appreciative, to uh, you, you continue to sound the alarm about the dangers involved of all the, the gender surgeries for minors uh, and uh, that amounts really to sterilization and mutilization. Uh, and you recently held a briefing about this. Tell us about that briefing. Yeah, we had one there in one of the committee rooms in, right there in D.C. We had uh, two witnesses, a young woman here who's just just turned 18, I think, who was led into this path, I think, I, I think starting at about 13 years old on being convinced that she can change her gender and that would be a solution for her life. And then a, a, a fellow who's a, a little older there, his name is Walt Heyer, and you can read his story on the on the internet there about what he's been through. He's about 82 years old, and he's been being basically lied to, Jody, for about 30 years on this being a uh, a solution for whatever you know he's feeling or or uh, whatever might be bothering his life about that, and. It's uh, and he's he regrets it. The young lady, she regrets it. And I, I, I don't hold any, you know, uh, I guess I don't hold any frustration with them. You know, they made decisions, right? And we need to pray for them. We need to support them, so that they're also and, and they're and they're going on the line, going online here, putting themselves on the line, trying to say to tell people about their story. 
is is really courageous of them, and it's going to be helpful long term. You see, you see the work Matt Walsh is doing as well on all this. You know, his, his video, "What Is a Woman," and all the all the people he's interviewing out there. You see people with deep regret that, but they've been lied to. When and Jody, especially with kids, all right, especially with minors, we need to protect them. Now, if adults make these adult decisions. That's a little bit different, but I think those that are convincing them this is going to be a solution for their life, whether it's certainly minors and whether it's for adults, they need to be held accountable that when they find out that this is a lie, that yes, you can surgically or hormonally, you know, take take some take some kind of drugs, hormones, whatever, to uh, somehow change the direction of what your gender is. There's something else going on here. There's something else that. Uh, and they need counseling for. They need to be talked through it. We had a situation right here. I'm in Chico, California, where a, a young a girl, a 11 year old girl, was in school, and uh, she went to a counselor. Wanted to talk, you know, in good faith with the counselor. Wanted to talk about some feelings she's having, maybe some confusion. Or and who who can blame a kid these days that they're getting bombarded on the internet all the time on social media and on the on TV and media, maybe by the, by other kids of, uh, you know, hey, maybe sex changes for you. And that's about one of the first things they seem to be asked by teachers and counselors, like, well, are you feeling like you're gender? Do you feel like maybe you're a different gender? Well, it probably wouldn't even pop into their mind. And so we're over-sexualizing our kids these days. Other than just the basic birds and bees, you know, we were all taught about sixth, seventh, eighth grade. They're hitting all this stuff on sexual activities and, and on sexual choices and changes. So we got to protect them at all these different levels especially minors. And that's why I'm so adamant on this. So the, the hearing we had in D.C. on it, they, they were telling us about how they've been lied to and deceived and, and have been telling people and by the medical community and others that would counsel them that, oh, this is a solution for you. And you find out it wasn't a solution. It actually puts them in a worse way than maybe what they could have been counseled with on dealing with their feelings and gender dysphoria. Absolutely. Congressman Doug LaMalfa, thank you so much for your leadership on this issue and so many others. You know, it's amazing. These teenagers aren't even old enough to buy cigarettes, and yet they're able somehow to make these kind of life-changing decisions. Congressman Doug LaMalfa, 1st Congressional District, California. We, we have to protect Have a great them. weekend. Better. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Thanks for being on board. All right, friends, we want to continue this uh, topic of gender confusion. Uh, and a fascinating story, the Attorney General of New Jersey has literally filed lawsuits against multiple school districts in his state for respecting parental rights. Can you believe it? For respecting parental rights, the government is suing individuals in school districts. Uh, and all of this is uh, against uh, school districts that have a policy of telling parents if their child has changed their gender identity while at school. In other words, they want transparency to parents about their child's school uh, to be illegal. I mean, it's phenomenal. Well, joining me now to discuss this and go deeper into all of this is Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at FRC, and she previously served in the Department of Education during the Trump administration. Meg, thanks for joining me this evening. Thanks for having me, Jody. Well, you're super welcome. Listen, did I miss anything in kind of summarizing what's happening? I wish I could say you were totally wrong, Jody, but you were uh, spot on right. Um, this attorney general in New Jersey um, has filed a lawsuit against school districts. Uh, when Chris Christie was governor of New Jersey, he signed a raft of legislation advancing LGBTQ rights and making the Department of Education there set guidelines for schools regarding this topic. And so the activist community took that as a sign that they needed to go in and, and make very progressive and anti-parent laws regarding gender identity. So then parents finally, you know, it, it takes a long time sometimes for it to work its way through all the bureaucracy down to the actual people that it affects, the, the students and parents, right? But once the parents really realized what was happening and that it was actually true that their children could be you know, could could go through gender transition at school, social transition, and they would be kept secret from parents. Um, they started taking over school boards and electing school board members who shared their values. And they started having at the local level policies that required parents to be notified 
if their student asks to be called by a different name at school. This is not a huge ask, right? This isn't a huge request on the part of these parents, but apparently it's too much for the Attorney General of New Jersey because he has filed lawsuits against these school districts who very bravely and rightly responded to the concerns of parents because they have the best interests of children in mind. And um, it, it's the kind of situation that you just can't quite believe, but it is true. I'm sorry yeah, to say. I, you're exactly right. I mean, this is who in the world possibly thinks it's a good idea to keep secrets from parents about their children. Uh, child uh, abusers know, I, believe that. <laughs> well, the, good point. I guess yeah. I guess we can find some. But my <laughs> point is, what kind of normal, uh, uh, good-natured person even, at the least? Exactly. Uh, so, exactly. Right, Meg, let me ask you this, because this is really uh, heavy on my heart with all of this. I, I think, obviously, behind all of this, the LGBT agenda is driving all of this. But this particular issue involves something much bigger. I mean, this is, like you said, this is saying parents have no legal rights over their child when it comes right. to this agenda. I mean, is that an overstatement at all? Or it just seems to me that is what really this battle is all about. I, I think there is a huge movement. It's a spiritual one and a practical one to separate children from their parents. Um, this is the, the work of, you know, the, the, the devil himself, quite honestly, is to undermine that relationship, that sacred bond between parents and their children. Parents are given to us, children are given to their parents by God himself. And um, that, of course, offends pe people who, um, you know, have nefarious intent for children. And they know that parents will protect their children at any cost. We will do anything to protect our kids, right? And so um, they they know they have to break that bond in order to advance certain agendas. And um, yeah. it's unfortunate because this, th th this um, it, it's just a very dangerous situation. And so many people don't agree with it. This isn't like a 95% an issue, right? That parents should yeah. be in charge of their kids. And and yet um, so many people are very confused about it. Meg, less than a minute left is all we have. But uh, the good news, we got parents who are beginning to fight back. They've drawn a line in the sand. Enough is enough. These are our children, not yours. Uh, tell us about that real quickly, about 30 seconds. Well, one great example of that is Moms for Liberty is having a summit in, in Philadelphia this weekend. And as you might imagine, those LGBT activists and other activists are throwing a big temper tantrum outside their conference um, and creating a whole bunch of ridiculous um, barriers and shouting horrible things at these moms as they're going into their conference. But I have had reports from my friends who are there. They are, of course, undeterred by this temper tantrum, and they are going to continue to fight on behalf of children and families all over the country for, for awesome. years to come. That's awesome. Meg Kilgannon, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch. Have a great weekend. You too, Jody. Thanks. All right, friends, that's all we have for this edition of Washington Watch. Hope you have a great weekend and July 4th as we celebrate our nation's independence. We must remember that that independence is all wrapped around dependence upon God. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next time. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.